We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We do have some questions already, Ryan. If you all have some more questions, please go ahead and fire them off now, and we will get to those as we work through this. So, Ryan, let's. Uh, it's not even a, a super chat a question, but I just love this comment to kick off the mailbag. From uh, first of all, the best part of this is the name, Jack Reacher's elbow. So first, I don't. You and I were talking about this before the show when we talked. I, I loved the series for Jack Reacher series. And uh, I, I imagine this has to do is he hits people with his elbow a lot. Like, like there's a prison scene where he, this guy's in there trying to start some badness and he just hits him with his elbow, knocks the dude out. He's a, he's a pretty bad dude. Jack Reacher's elbow is pretty fired up about this commitment. As and then be. we have people like my guy, Gregory Gilbert, who's just being straight selfish. Gregory with a super chat, which is not selfish, by the way. Said, who's committing tomorrow? <laughs> like, not even satisfied with the four. Obviously, Gregory's joking. But that doesn't that kind of how it feels? It's kind of like, okay, well, who's next? You know, who's committing tomorrow? It just amazes me what this staff has been able to do. I mean, it, it, it really is just. I, I'll say this. I mean, Gregory, it's the great thing about it is I wouldn't put it past this staff that they do get someone to commit tomorrow. You know? and we don't. We don't have anybody. We don't know of anybody, right. but I just want to make sure people understand what we're saying, but man, it, like you said, Ryan, would it be shocked if tonight I get a phone call or a text message and it's like, Oh, by the way, you know, get ready for such and such tomorrow. Cause such and such is committing. It's like, Oh, okay. wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. Not one yeah. bit. It just, it, it really is. It really is impressive to see what the staff has been able to do. And it's high, high level talent too. It's, it's, that's mm-hmm. the impressive thing. And we're working on a feature now. Uh, Ryan and I have been working on it the last couple of days and it's going to really be impressive. That's just going to blow away the notion of top players. Aren't, aren't really good students mm-hmm. like blow away that notion. And that's been a fun article to put together and we're just still trying to continue to get more and more data on that. But it's um, it really is impressive to see what they're doing. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Michael Parks is Brian and Ryan. Can Amir Wagner, Emil Wagner, be an asset on special teams while he reshapes and gains weight? With, with that arm length? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Brian, I, I put him on the on the kick block team, right? Like, yeah, right. Get, get your hands up. I mean, for yeah. sure. I also wouldn't put it past him that, like, if you are going some goal line packages to see him come in as, like, that tight end, right? Like, that blocking right. tight end, quote-unquote, like that extra offensive lineman. I think Emil could have a little bit of a role. I don't think – I mean, he's not going to start on the offensive line. Right. But you, I mean, if you want to use that power and that and that length that he has in some capacity, sure, Michael, I would be up for it personally. Mm-hmm. I think if he can, if he never gains the weight necessary to be an every down lineman, mm-hmm. there's no question he can do what Joe Walt did last year. No, no question. There's no question he can't be a goal line weapon as your tight end because you're just putting that guy in the game to block, right? This is no yeah. secret. We're lined up at the one and a half yard line. It's no secret to what we're doing. And, you know, from a coaching standpoint, and then you talk about special teams. Yeah. The blocking situation, Ryan, but you know what else? I'd probably rather have him there in a wing than a tight end with that length and his athleticism and punch. That's fair. I mean, you know, that's another one. Like try running around that kid on the wing or at the very edge, you know, the, maybe the edge, if you don't want to put him as the wing, put him as the edge, you know, cause at least the wing, you have a guy that's an eligible receiver. If you want to run a fake, I get that, mm-hmm. but then put a number 90 on him and let him go out there and be there. But yeah, I think there's a role for him in certain areas yeah and I, I like your notion of the of the field goal block too oh yeah because that it's kid is middle, he's our, he's six six and he's long very very long yes george delaney with a question george asks ryan he says what freshman offensive lineman this fall will play more than four games is anyone too good to push past that limit i would be surprised if anybody went past four to be honest i when, all right, maybe surprise is a little strong. I would, I no surprise is fine. I, I was going to say, say yes, yeah, surprise is fine. Surprise is fine. Surprise is fine. I, I I think that I mean, there's always a possibility that maybe a Billy Shrouth or somebody is too mm-hmm. good to keep off the film in some backup capacity or whatever. But I think that where you are with the offensive line and the fact that you created a lot of depth last year with a lot of guys playing, I would just be surprised if you wanted to if you were if it was a necessity to burn a red shirt just based upon a part-time backup player this year. Like, I just would be a little surprised. I think there's two guys that I could see doing that. I don't think either will. And that would be Billy Shrouth and Ty Chan. And the reason I say those two is because Billy's the most talented and he's big. 
and Ty's the biggest. I mean, Ty Chan's 310 pounds already. So I could see if him having a role, but both would require injuries, plural, to happen before they're going to play because you do have so much experience. I mean, not only do you have your five starters, you have Michael Carmody, who started multiple games last year. He's a junior now. You have Tosh Baker. You have Andrew Kristofik. If he doesn't start, he's in that conversation. If he does start, then you move Zeke Carell to that conversation, right? Whoever doesn't start in that group, you move to that conversation. That's three juniors or older that have started multiple games in their careers. Then you have Rocco Spindler. You have Caleb Johnson. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of older players that, that have a jump on them. The other part of it, too, is is offensive linemen nowadays, much, much more so than in the past, will be five year, four and five year players. So there's still merit to start to redshirting an offensive lineman where I see no point in redshirting a running back unless there's an injury situation like with a Jabron Payne. Like I would like to see Jabron get a fifth year because he lost two years of high school, basically. More often than not, like even like, look, Tony Jones Jr. Like if there was ever a running back that would have been, you know, oh yeah, that guy's going to be a fifth year guy. It would have been Tony Jones Jr. He didn't mm-hmm. say for a fifth year. You redshirted Kyron Williams, which means you only got him for two years because he left as a junior. You just that's a, not a position you're going to very often see fifth year guys. You know, receivers. I again, I don't. Who's the fifth year guys they've had recently? It's been like Chris Fink, Javon McKinley was a red fifth year because he had an injury, right? Mm-hmm. So he had a medical situation. So I'm just not a big believer in, in necessarily redshirting freshmen a whole lot uh, at skill positions, but offensive line, defensive line, quarterback, and linebacker are definitely positions where I am a fan of, and tight end. So bigger yeah. positions are and and are, are areas where I'm still for it. So I would like to see all those guys redshirted, and I think they all need it. I think they sure. all need it. Could Billy Shrouth step into a role because of injuries and and end up being a really good freshman? Yeah, yeah, he could. You know, could Ty Chan maybe step in at guard and, and give you some some good snaps if his number's called because of injuries? Yeah, yeah, I think he could. Mm-hmm. I love seeing Ashton uh, Craig over 290 pounds, too. Like, that was That's really awesome, encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised by that, man. He was yeah. a lot bigger than I thought. That's good. Yeah, and hopefully he's still ath- ath- athletic, uh, you know, at this point in time, too. So yeah, that's always my question when a kid makes a 20-pound gap, you know, jump. I was like, hey, did he maintain his quickness? There were uh, some, there were some huge gains yeah. this year, man. Like there were, I, I, cause I always stay up to date with that type of stuff, even when I wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, covering the team and it seemed like there was a lot more jumps yeah. in recently in the last couple of years. Like it was pretty phenomenal. Well, I'm going to say two things about that, that mm-hmm. I think are a factor for that. Number one, they had in the past have done a really crap job of updating returners weights. Sure. They just, they, they're just, they'll go two years. Like, so this kid hasn't changed all weight in the last two years. Like, come on now. And so, oh, I'm, before I'm sorry to cut you off, but there is a, one college in particular from scouting purposes that they've had the same kid listed. They've had the players listed the same exact weight since they were freshmen, and now they're redshirt seniors, and it drives me bananas. Sorry, quick vent there. Quick vent. It's awful. awful. I get awful, it. Awful. I think so. So, you know, hopefully this is Notre Dame taking this a little bit more seriously to have updated heights and weights. And the other part of it, too, is it's a change in philosophy. Harry, he stand like Jeff Quinn, and there's not a right or wrong. Okay, mm-hmm. it's just a philosophy change. So please don't take this as a negative. But Jeff Quinn's coaching style was more about you know finesse and technique and and athleticism and quickness and those type of things. And Harry, he stands philosophy is more about power and punch and moving. I mean, you talk about he wants to move people off the ball, 
And so with, with Jeff Quinn, it was more about, you know, we need to get to the, you know, work in space and athleticism and all this kind of stuff. And so you didn't need the higher weight. It was more about conditioning. With Harry Heastan, it's like, okay, we're going to be movers. So if you want to get to a certain weight, you've got to be over that weight start camp because you will lose sure. fall. Every offensive lineman is going to lose, in my opinion, five pounds in fall camp. It just happens every year. And if not, it's probably because you're eating way too much or you're not working. One of those two things is true. Or you're a young guy who's just got one of those booming bodies. Like there's rare instances, but more often than not, you're always going to lose five pounds at least in fall camp. So if you want a guy to be 305, he better come into fall camp at 310. Because if he comes in at 305, most likely he's going to be five pounds lower than what you want him to be. And you always kind of set target weights for guys. You don't you know, get too wrapped up in it, but you always kind of have an idea of target weights where you want guys to be, right? And so that's a change in philosophy. The other thing, too, is there's some younger kids that we expected big jumps from. You and I talked last week. We expected Joe mm-hmm. Walt to be at least 315 pounds when he checked in, sure. right? I mean, you know, so that was normal. Zeke Carell had a big jump I wasn't expecting. That was a pretty big jump. I think Billy Shrouth getting almost 30 pounds was more about just not having a correct weight for him in the spring than mm-hmm. it was – like, I think that was the weight he was when he, like, came on, like, his first visit to campus. Because that'll happen, too. They yeah. weigh kids in when they visit. And then when they – on signing day, they just put the weight of whatever he was when he checked in. And, and you know, that's how Jalen Steed's 198 pounds. I don't think Jalen Steed was sub 200 when he showed up in their name in the fall. But that was right. the weight he was on a signing day thing, and that's what they kept. So I think there's some of that as well. It is just some of the stuff wasn't necessarily updated. But some of these linemen made noticeable jumps. I mean, you're – and I, I'm going to have an article coming out here either today or tomorrow talking about how the Notre Dame offensive line is just going to be massive this year. I mean, just sure is. physically massive. And they they really were not that last year. They were a small – I mean, you started the season off with Zeke Carell and Kane Madden, a guard. Mm-hmm. You know, Jared Patterson was your biggest interior offensive lineman last year. That That's not where you want to be. Now he's your smallest, you know, weight-wise. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. or, or You know what I mean? And, and so – you're going to be much bigger at tackle, you know, this year than you were last year. You know, Josh Lug is not as, I mean, you're significantly bigger at right tackle for sure. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, you know, Joe Walt is now closer to what Blake Fisher was last year in weight, but then he went down in the first game and you were throwing Tosh Baker, who's barely 300 pounds out of left tackle. Michael Carmody was like 285 last year playing left tackle. When mm-hmm. I hear throwing a guy that's almost 20 pounds out there, which fits what Harry Heastan wants to do. He wants to move people. Right. And then you work some of that weight off and then you get to that comfortable spot. So I'd imagine Joe Wall to be around 310 to 312 when the season starts. And then because he's younger, he'll he'll have a buildup during the season. Normally veterans don't gain a lot of weight during the season. Mm-hmm. Younger guys will because their bodies are still growing. So right. he'll he'll you know he'll lose a little bit to then and then get back up by season's end, ideally, is where he'll be. So I think that's a big part of why you're seeing the jumps as well. Another one that was fun was I know that Sean talked about, and I think you reiterated to the battle of Joe Alt versus Isaiah Foskey in the first practice, right? Which was fun to see, man, the, these offensive tackles are blocking a 293 pound Riley Mills. That yes. is an absurdly sized. Yes. End, man. I've never seen anything like that yeah. before. That's like a yeah. Adam Carricker up in here, you know, Grant yeah. Winstrom. Like this, these guys are like usually Nebraska players back in the day. They yeah. Black shirts, you know, nuts. Yeah. Nuts, nuts, nuts. Yeah. They've, they've got some big kids on the defensive line. I mean, even some of the backups, I mean, Alexander Ehrensberger, six, seven, two sixty seven. 
you know that that's a big kid. Tyson Ford is 6'5, 275. They've got some big defensive ends on this board. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at some of these weights. Like people are freaking out about Michael Mayer gaining 15 pounds. And I'm like, look, he didn't gain 15 pounds. He gained 15 pounds from the last listed weight. Michael Mayer was bigger than 250 last year. Yes. He was probably closer to 255 last year. And so he didn't gain 10 pounds from the spring. He the roster adjusted 14 pounds from the spring. You know, that that's a little bit of the difference. But here's some of the weights of the offensive linemen. Rocco Spindler was up to 315. Uh, mm-hmm. Zeke Carell is up to 308. Joe Alt's up to 316. Josh Lugs up to three or three. Joe Alt's 317. Josh Lugs up to 316. Ty Chan is two is 310 now. So yeah, there's definitely some big boys. Billy Shrouth is up to 302. Caleb Johnson gained over 10 pounds. He's up to well officially he he was listed from what I understand. Somebody that I, I know knows him. He was mm-hmm. listed much bigger than he actually was last year. So if he's a legit 295, he's actually gained a lot more than the the like eight to ten pounds he's listed as gaining. So that's a good sign as that, well. That's a really good gain for him. Yeah. yeah. Michael Carmody was listed at 280. That mm. was a little bit of a red flag for me. Jarrett Patterson's 310. Blake Fisher's down six, eight pounds. He's down, down to 327. I'm yeah. I'm good with Yeah. Because he's losing some of that baby fat, which we expected. You know, he, yep. he's growing up. I mean, he, even look in the face, he just he looks older this year. Like he looks like he's yeah. kind of becoming a, a grown man, like physically. I saw, like I, I saw a picture of him this morning, Brian, just like on the practice field. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> he, you know, like this is gonna sound weird, but like he, he just he always had that like real innocent baby face, right? Sure. Like you know, just like a just like man, that's just like a good, just a good natured, always smiling kid, right? Yeah. Now yeah. you look at him and he's still smiling, but like he's starting to look like a grown-up now you know what i mean like he, he looks body type wise yeah. just body type i'm not comparing yeah. him to this player but like little orlando pace ish yeah. kind of look yeah. to him you know like i'll take sh- him playing like that too i i would oh, gladly well, gladly maybe, take that maybe maybe the best offensive tackle in recent college history of the last like 30 yeah. years or 25 I mean, the, years the only one that i would even put in the conversation is jonathan ogden sure i mean that's sure. the only other one that's even in the conversation for me Pace was ridiculous at Ohio yeah. State, man. Absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, I'll take that. So Ryan Roberts, I'm a little payback. Ryan Roberts said Blake Fisher will be as good as Orlando Pace. Let me write that down. A little Let's payback, hope, man. Little Let's pay- hope. <laughs> now, Let's hope. it's funny as I'm taking a shot, a lighthearted jab at you, but I hope you're right. I'm <laughs> that would, right. That would be a lot of fun. I really hope we have a battle this year for who's better, Joe Wald or Blake Fisher. I, mm-hmm. I really hope that's a conversation for us to have because it means yes. both of them have raised their game to a very high level. Yep. Michael asks, Brian and Ryan, do you anticipate the 2024 class to build at an even faster pace than the 2023 class? Certainly seems possible. And with a five-star QB in the fold with Carr, we uh, very well may see it. Can can I show throw my opinion and then you respond yeah. whether you agree or disagree? Of course. I think it will early. I think it'll stall at a lower number than 2024 or the 2023 and then finish stronger. The reason I say that is, is because they're loading up now on positions that you know you need. You know you need receivers. You know you're going to need linemen. You know you're going to need an offensive lineman. And then you desperately need a quarterback. I think they're going to kind of take their time with some of the other positions. You know, I, I think because they're going to go, to use a, a crude term, they're going to go big game hunting this year in 2024 at certain positions. Linebacker corner receiver running back where I think there may be more willing to let the process play out a little bit longer. 
than yeah. they would now where they tried to fill up. And this is going to be especially true, Michael, if they actually win a lot of games this year. Mm-hmm. Because then you start saying, okay, our reputation is even growing more. We're even more in the game with some of these big-name kids. I also think the final piece is I don't think the numbers are going to be as great in 24. Probably I think not. it's going to be more of a 23 to 25 right now. And you don't want to fill up too soon where right now you get to 23 and you're okay. Cause you still can make room for four kids and more kids in the class. And in five, if you got real like, okay, Caleb down calls, it, you know, late and wants to come and you're at 27. Okay. You know, you still take them kind of situation. So uh, that's uh so Ryan, thoughts on 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 that? I think it'll start earlier, yeah. but stall sooner. Well, I, I I think that for me, I think especially offensively, it's going to start a lot earlier, right? Like I think we're gonna we're gonna fill up quick in that regard. But I agree. I think that you're going to hit a point where you just kind of stall out for a little yeah. bit, and people are going to panic, and it's just like right. guys, it's just the numbers are just not going to be the same right. this year. Like the volume, it's not what right. it was. So I agree with you. I, and I because think that, they start to, so they're so much higher now than they were. Yes. They didn't get their. I think their sixth commitment last year was Peyton Bowen in January. Yeah, yeah. They, at the end of the year, they only had two commits on offense: Cedric Irvin Jr. and Cooper Flanagan. That was it. Mm-hmm. So they're yeah. already double that up right now, right? To, so to your point, they're going to fill yeah. up faster, which then e- is going to bring about that law that's mm-hmm. going to be because they're shooting for the dudes who won't be deciding soon. And, and I also think since you are in theory going to have a smaller class in 2024 than you have in 2023, it's going to allow you, and I think you said big game hunting, right? Like they're mm-hmm. going to go after and guys like Ryan Wingo and – the safeties on the board, like a Peyton Woodyard, for instance, and a Sammy Brown at linebacker, and a Darius Hayes. Like you're gonna, you're gonna be okay with kind of ease, like taking that a little bit slower, maybe than what it is right now, right? Like you're not gonna force a Sammy Brown to get into class right now. You would love to have right. it, but like we're going after some yeah. big fish in 2024 again. So I don't think we should expect them to just like all jump aboard because CJ Carson. Right. I think that's happened a couple of times with a couple of players, but right. still it's a, it's a good situation to be in right now. Right. Like, and same thing, a receiver. Now, could they get a couple big time guys early? Sure. With CJ Carr in the class, it's possible, but they don't need to force that to happen. Like they needed to rush to get as many good receivers as they could last year. Cause the numbers were such, so important. And it, they, it worked out well that they also got big name guys, but th- it's like, look, if, if, if let's just say Micah Hudson and, and Ryan Wingo decide, Hey guys, I'm not deciding until like, my senior year. Okay. Let it play out. Right. I mean, they're you're in a position where you can now afford to ride out that, that recruitment, that wave a little bit. Now I hope that those recruitments don't last that long and they pick Notre Dame, but you, you just have more time offensive line wise. You needed a big class in 2023. You don't mm-hmm. need one in 24. You can let kids develop faster defensive line wise. You don't have to rush into numbers. You can wait for Elijah rushing. You know, and and guys that are similar to him, linebackers a similar thing. So, I think those are the positions, Ryan. I think you're right where you can let the board play out a little bit. 100%. You know, and and you don't because you, you're what the 24 23 class has done, especially if they can finish off the way that we hope they finish off, is it has now healed your roster from a number standpoint at almost every position. Numbers at receiver are still important, and yep. safety are still important. Like those are the two where numbers are important. I would argue safety is now the big, because of Dylan Edwards, safety is now the biggest numbers need. Like you have to hit not, not biggest in size. You're not going to resign four five safeties, 
but sure. you have to get three safeties in next year's class, in my opinion, or at least okay. two safeties and one guy that you know can play safety or corner or you know something like that, right. the hybrid guy, because you're adding right now three to your roster, but you're losing like four potentially. Or by the by the time the twenty four class shows up, you're going to potentially lose four guys from your roster. You're going to lose Brandon Joseph by the time the twenty four class shows up. You're definitely going to use lose Houston and DJ. And there's a chance that you're not going to have Ramon or and or Xavier Watts by then either, right? So it put so, but other than that, linebacker, you don't. It's not a numbers thing anymore. It's a talent thing. Defensive line 100%. numbers aren't yeah. an issue anymore. It's a talent thing. Offensive line, running back, uh, tight end. You're actually good there. You can decide later if you want to take a second guy down the road. So cornerback because of what you've done the last two years yeah you need two guys but you don't have to get two guys right now you can go for the dudes Mm -hmm. and i think that's going to play out a little bit it's going to the process is going to go out a little bit a little bit longer yes than than we expect agreed so let's go to the next question from josh buffo the motivational business banker brandon ryan will you guys be at the marshall game so affirmative ryan will be there and we'll go ahead and break a little bit of news here ryan so uh, my parents are going to come in town for that game uh, as of right now my you guys know my mom couldn't go last year she had to have that surgery uh so it messed up the spring and there's some things that came up in the fall so we were not able to do the big one with my mom because my mom is a phenomenal cook i'll put it like this the only wedding that I know of that she hasn't catered in our family are mine and my sister's because we wouldn't let her cater because we wanted her to, you know, be the mom, you know, <laughs> but uh, I have a big family and just about everybody asked my mom to cater their weddings. My mom can put together some stuff. So she, my mom and my dad are planning on coming in town the week of the Marshall game. And so we are going to have a big Irish breakdown tailgate for the Marshall game. And obviously Ryan will be there. So it's perfect time for that. I'm hoping that uh, the, obviously Sean Styers and Vince will be there. So they're going to finish up the Irish Breakdown College Game Day show, which is, we're still figuring out what the name is going to, official name is going to be for that. So they will, they will be there for that. And um, it's going to be a lot of fun. So if you're planning on coming for that game, Ryan will be there. We'll be there. It's going to be a fun day and a lot of good food. Cause like I said, my mom's going to, my mom's going to be making it and she can throw down. So. And I am taking a plane in this time, so I am getting in early Friday yes. morning. So people on the board, hit me up Friday night. No, I'll be there no, with my pops and uh, no friends. RV this time. No RV, thank uh, God, no <laughs> RV this time. <laughs> I, it's it's fun, man, but like a ten hour drive in an RV is not fun. So yeah. let's not do that again. I uh, one of my goal life goals has always been uh, has always been. I wanted to, and I, I, it's not my goal anymore because I, I don't watch Major League Baseball anymore, but my whole life, my goal was to take a whole summer where I just got an RV, me and Ange, and just went to every Major League Baseball park. That just, of course, it'd have to be a really good RV, but uh, that's always been kind of a dream of mine. So may, maybe someday if I'm able to to build Irish Breakdown up enough to where I can work remotely, we may do that with college football, you know, go to a different game every weekend or something like that in the RV or something, who knows. Yeah. But uh but yeah, that uh, that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So, uh, but yeah, we're we're gonna do that. So, Marshall game, Josh. It's a great question. So, um, we will be there. Ryan and I will both be there. Vince and Sean Stars will be there. I'm hoping Sean Davis will be there. We'll try to get him down for it as well. And uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. 
So it'll be a lot of fun. So you won't have to park your big RV in my driveway this time, Ryan. No, no, okay. not this time. And, okay. and no, Christopher, uh, Marcus Freeman is not sending the private jet for me. I am, yeah, you know, I know, right? Just, I uh, asked. Have to, have, have to rough it a little bit. I asked. I, they didn't even say no. They just kind of laughed at me and hung up the phone. So yep. I'm kidding. I didn't ask. I would never ask that. Uh, Alan Watson asks, hey, uh, Ryan and Brian, do you think if they fought, if they brought back either freshman teams or a JV team, it would help with development? So, Alan, it's not really doable anymore because yeah. when they had freshman and JV teams, they didn't have the same scholarship limitations as they do now. Um, right. So, I mean, it used to be um, – I'm actually – I'm trying to go to um, to see when that changed, but like I'm pretty sure that it was it was in I think the Frank Leahy era is I think when it first started to change uh, to where there was some restrictions on it, but that might have actually just been a Notre Dame thing. But I mean, as of the '90s, I believe the the 1980s, I believe they were still in the 90s as far as the number of scholarships that you could use, Ryan. I uh, 1992 is when they went to 85. The first change, so in 73, somewhere in 1973, the NCAA imposed a limit of 105 scholarships. So up until 1973, there was no limit on the number of scholarships you could have on number of scholarship players you could have on your team, which is also partly why certain schools like Notre Dame were so dominant because they would just what it was, Ryan, it was like Division Three. It was like Mount Union and schools like that are so dominant because what Mount Union would do is they would take kids that we want knowing he was going to be their fifth running back because they didn't want us to have them. And they'd have like 250 kids in their roster. And if you have that many kids in your roster, guess what? Those kids aren't playing against you, <laughs> you right. know? Right. And and so that's what you do. And so 1973, it changed to 105. And then in 1980, 78 it dropped down to 95 and then it wasn't until 1992 that Notre Dame that Notre Dame that the NCAA dropped down to 85 so when Notre Dame won a title in 1988 they could have 95 guys on scholarship imagine what Notre Dame's recruiting class would look like this year if, if the NCAA upped it to 95 scholarships that would be uh a lot of fun, <laughs> a lot sure of fun would. to watch how it would be sure but would. 85 scholarships is a lot you can definitely have a, a good deep team but it's impossible to have a JV and a, a freshman team. I mean, that's what a scout team is essentially, you know, but e even at 85, I mean, you're talking about 22 positions. You're not even four deep at every position. Right. And it's even less than that. When you include, you're probably going to have three to four specialists on scholarship, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you're talking 80 scholarships for 22 positions. You, you're not going four deep everywhere. Well, if you only have three quarterbacks, that's considered a little light on your depth chart. You know, I mean, so it just it's tough to have that kind of depth. It is. Mm -hmm. And it's only going to get harder as teams just kind of lose, start losing kids in the transfer portal constantly. Oh, man, such a headache. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be it's just so unpredictable now. You know, mm -hmm. like the numbers are just changing. So I love those questions. I really do. It's just like. What is the numbers going to look like at this position for 2024? It's like, I don't know right now. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's it's going to, it, it just says the possible. And Notre Dame hasn't had a ton of turnover, but it's just like things can right. just change so rapidly. Oh, yeah. And it's tough. Here's a great question from Riza, Ryan. Uh, he, and I'll ask this to you. And mm -hmm. I'm assuming you're going to answer it to where I don't have to because you're going to nail this one. Uh, no pressure. If Blake Fisher becomes clearly the best lineman and Alt, Joe Alt is still very good, would it be normal to have Fisher stay at right tackle? 
I always thought your best goes to left tackle. It reason it it does typically. So like to your premise, usually your best offensive lineman is your left tackle. So I accept that. I will say I don't think that it's it's definitely not necessary in this perspective because if both players are playing well at their spots, I'm not a big fan of changing things unnecessarily. And just because and if Blake Fisher does become their best offensive lineman, that doesn't mean he's necessarily their best pass blocker. And that's nor that's more what you want at left tackle, right? So there could be a world where Joe Ald is your best le- uh, best pass blocker on your offensive line, but Blake Fisher's your best overall offensive lineman because of the balance that he can have in the run and pass game. So I don't like switching stuff unnecessarily. If both players are playing at a very high level at both and one just happens to be a little bit better, I'm not going to switch just to have a guy play left tackle versus right. Both spots are just very important at this point. So if both are playing at a very high level, I'm not switching anything ever. I think the other thing too is it's not necessarily that your best player goes to left tackle. I think it's more it was it was always more about your best player tended to be your best pass blocker. Sure. And even if Blake Fisher's their best all overall lineman, I don't think he would necessarily be their best pass blocker. I think that will be Joe Walt. I fully expect Blake Fisher to be their best offensive lineman. Like he he bring he, but he's just he's gonna be so good because he's gonna dominate in both areas. I, I still feel like Joe is – I also feel like I want a left tackle that's more – I never liked Mike McGlinchey at left tackle. Mm-hmm. I thought it took away from – I'll be I'll be honest. I thought Mike McGlinchey's best year was 2015. Like just – he was brilliant in 2015. And that was the only year he played right tackle, starter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A right tackle in the way that you run your – because teams tend to be right-handed in the run game. They sure. just they just do, uh, right tackles. You're also going to have you know backs helping to that side more because if your left tackle's good, you're sliding your protection away from him and you're letting him handle kind of handle the edge, not sliding it, but you know you'll have your your back and you'll set your protection there a lot more. So what tends to happen is your right left tackle is going to be on an island more. He's got to be more of a, you know, not I'm trying to think of the right way to say it, Ryan, but you just don't want him playing like. 100 miles an hour just coming off and crushing people you want you him to, be, to be a little you bit have, methodical. You have to be more you have to be more controlled at left right. tackle you can kind of let things kind of a little a little more out of structure at right. right tackle if we want to phrase it like right that. I, a right I agree tackle, with you. Sure. I, he can be more aggressive yes that fits joe walt more mm-hmm. right tackle fits blake more i don't want blake fisher playing a position where he has to be a little bit more methodical yeah. uh, anticipatory I want Blake coming off and destroying the man across from him. And I believe right tackle gives him more of that, more of that freedom. And that's kind of partly why I wanted him to be ultimately a guard. If another tackle emerged as a dude, right now that I don't see that happening, but that's why I would have been open to guard because again, you saw the kind of dominance that Quentin Nelson could enforce on opponents. He could have done that at right tackle. He couldn't have done that to the same degree at left tackle. And unless he, unless he wanted to make himself a liability in pass protection. And that's what kind of hurt Mike McGlinchey at times. He was a little too aggressive, which would then get him hurt on some fires off the edge. He couldn't quite get out to them quick enough because he was, his first thought was vertical. You don't necessarily want, I mean, you'll see in the NFL, Ryan, and I, and I do know this, you'll mm-hmm. see a left tackle playing a completely different game from the next four offensive linemen. Even the lineup, like everybody's kind of on a line, and then like the left tackle is kind of off 
because it's kind of, you know what I mean? Like he's just playing a different game. It's uh, he's like he's he's like a boundary corner, man. Like right. it's just kind of separate right. type of deal, right. you know? Like yeah. So it's more style than mm-hmm. it is best. That's fair. And so that's kind of where I would I would say. It just I think in high school and in college football, it has tended to work out that your best is also all the others. You put them left yeah. tackle. Yeah. And you know, and you definitely do it in college when you've got a like Notre Dame did this, right? Ronnie started off at right. Well, that's because you had Zach Martin left. Then Zach left and you move Ronnie over. Well, he was always better suited for that. And then Mike McGlinchey starts at right because Ronnie was at left. Then Ronnie left. And then you move Mike over because you're going to have a new starter at right tackle. You don't want to necessarily put a new starter at left tackle unless he's a prodigy, so to speak, like Blake was last year, <laughs> right? right? But now it's a situation where you're not going to flip them if they're both still there. You moved those other guys because the left guy, le- the left tackle was gone and it opened up that spot. And that won't necessarily be the case here. Agreed. Uh, so that's just my two cents. Really good question, Riza. And really good answer, Ryan, by the way. Got some more questions up here uh, from Tyler Binge. Fall camp comment. Coach Marcus Freeman is taking an aggressive approach to practice. Everyone has to be ready and the season will be hard. The former coaches take to include his current job as a more passive approach. What was hilarious, Ryan? You know the mm-hmm. question, comment and question that Marcus Freeman was talking about. Yeah. We talked about in the show and, and it was funny because you're getting these Ohio people, Ohio State people like, oh, this is a bad sign for Notre Dame. And I'm like, you guys, I mean, guys are so clueless. He's trying to establish a precedent of, hey, there are no excuses for being tired or being out or being too excited. Because sometimes that's why you're out. You're too amped up on a 95-degree day, you know, and and you end up kind of, you know, it's like the expression of, okay, like, I like watching, like, crime shows and, and stories about investigate, like, things that have happened in the past. And uh, one of them was the Concord plane disaster. And this was back like early 2000s i believe i forget uh but what one of the pro one of the many it's like a bunch of things went wrong but one of them was they put more fuel in there than they needed and it was so it's because the human body is very similar in this regard if you have more fuel like the harder you push the faster you burn the fuel the you know because the because you're because you weigh more there's more weight now and it's sort of this way with with athletes if if you're too amped up, I'm not talking about working hard. I'm talking about emotionally amped up because practice is, a, is physically draining enough. But when you add the the emotional aspect to it of a first practice, that's why you're going to see guys kind of maybe burning a little too hot. And it, you know, so it's not that they weren't necessarily physically ready or they're out of shape. It's like, hey, man, I need you to calm down a little bit. Like Brady Quinn always thought had this problem. Did you ever notice in the first couple series or two, Brady Quinn was at his most erratic? When he was in college, mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of us, cause he was so amped up and he had to settle down and, you know, especially with athletes that are running a lot. So I think that's going to factor into why some guys burned out a little bit early too, but it's, again, it's about Marcus Freeman, not setting a, Oh, it's okay guys. First day of fall camp. You know, it was, no, this is not okay. We're cause he knows we got a battle ahead of us this season and we sure. need these kids physically and more importantly, mentally tough enough to handle it. And I, I loved it. I loved the tone that he was setting with it. And it just, um, yeah, it was I, good. I, 
I had to get off of Twitter because other fan bases were saying stuff like, oh, these guys aren't even ready to play. They're not even ready for camp. Blah, blah, blah. It's too hot for them. I'm just like, all right. right. Guys, all right, right. We're good here, man. We're good. Yeah. It's, it's just so so ignorant. It's just very ignorant yeah, that, things to say. But. Yeah, pretty much nails it. Yeah. yeah. All right, here we go. David Jones has Notre Dame offered the Parker kid that is six foot, 300 pound, 14 year old. They did. Yep. They, they offered him about two weeks ago now, I believe he is a 2025 kid. So he'll be a sophomore this year. He plays out in California. Guy is a very impressive looking athlete. I don't think he's played a ton of varsity football at this point, but he's, he's made his uh, camp circuits well known this off season. He is a uh, very mature looking 14 year old. Right yes. So, yes. That is a question mark that I have is how much yes. better is he going to get? Sure. That, uh, yeah, we have a, we have a prediction, Ryan, from Ryan Loftus is I anticipate a Brandon Joseph interception in the first game. That's his prediction. I'm, I'm here for it, man. I'm here for Re- it. Reason with the follow-up is Blake. If is Blake Fisher I'm trying to think what that would mean invented to, like projected yeah to move to left tackle for nfl evaluations or does the nfl care between looking at right tackle to left tackle they do care i mean left tackle is still more valuable than right tackle reza but i will say this that gap has become less and less nowadays like you need a really good right tackle you don't just need a really good left tackle and you can just throw a mauler at right tackle and you don't have to worry about him it's the passing league now so like Right tackle also needs to be a really good pass protector. It's just a fact of the world. Will there be some will there be some teams that look at him and say, can he play left tackle? Sure. Right. I think that's going to happen. Like a lot of people, I think, are going to be like, he's a, if he's a dominant player at right tackle, does he have the length and the movement skills? I do, I do think he does in the right style to play left mm-hmm. tackle. But I, I just – I don't think that it's going to prevent – like if Blake Fisher is a top 10 level football player in the draft when, whenever he comes out – and he's only played right tackle, I don't think that's going to deter people from drafting him in the top 10 because he's just such a physically gifted football player. But I do think there will be teams that will say to themselves, can he play left tackle? Because that is just a, a more valuable position than right tackle, but not as much as it used to be, in, in my opinion. Can I ask a follow-up question to that, Ryan? Sure. How much – so if a team in the top 10 mm-hmm. views – has a need at left tackle – like sure. they've got a right tackle, like and a pure right tackle, like not a right tackle. They can move the left tackle yep. and they're sitting there in the top 10 and they evaluate Blake Fisher as the best offensive tackle. And mm-hmm. they've seen a half a game of him at left tackle, let's say. Sure. What are the odds that a team would, if he's clearly the best tackle, what would go into the process of a team of saying, Hey, we're going to look at this kid and take him, even though he hasn't played left tackle because we think he can play it. Would a team be willing to make that kind of jump? And what would yeah. the process be? Would it have to be? Because here's the question I have: is if if he's if he's if he plays four years, this is not an answer that we're worried about because I guarantee he's going to go to the Senior Bowl and play left tackle. Sure, right. But yeah. if he leaves after three years, I don't believe he's eligible to play in those games. Is that still correct? So then, uh, yeah. Well, he has to, he has to be a he has to graduate by that December to be eligible for one of those. Big okay, goals. which is so. maybe possible for Blake in three years. Yeah. As an, as so he could. Enrollee. So he could. So he could be a junior or redshirt junior, or whatever, and play in the Senior yeah. Bowl if he is graduated that December. So my question is: Is what are the things that need would need to happen, and what would the process be for teams to say, "Hey, 
this is the best tackle in the draft. We haven't really seen him at left. I mean, is it the pro day? Are there mm-hmm. workouts? Like, what are the things that teams can do or what would they do to be able to somehow try to evaluate him as much as possible? Or do they just look at the film and say it translates? I, I'm very curious to kind of how it's, that process was. Because this is a unique situation, Ryan, where yeah. you do have a guy that we both think could move to left tackle and be a dude. Right. But they also have a dude at left tackle already, and they're in the same class. So yeah. I'm very curious how that's going to play out and how it will be evaluated from an NFL standpoint. It, it It's going to be – everything is going to be a, a – a data point for that transition. Like I think someone said like Jedrick Wills was a guy that was a right tackle in Alabama and was projected to left tackle by the Cleveland Browns. Mm-hmm. And he's made that transition pretty well. It comes down to this. Does a player have the traits to make that transition? And does he have the mental capacity to make that transition? If the answer is yes to both, like if, if Blake Fisher, for instance, Brian, if he goes to the combine, let's say he has 34 plus inch arms, he's six, five and or right around six foot six, six, five high and six, six. And, he has the movement skills, obviously, to do that, then I don't think teams are going to hesitate to it. They'll be like, I can make that work. Like, he has all the traits that are suitable to play left tackle. So I do think that testing will matter a little bit for mm-hmm. him, but it's more like measurements, 10-yard split. The explosive stuff is going to matter more than, like, what his 40-time ultimately is because he's going to be 325 to 330 pounds. So, like, he's a just a massive guy. But I think that the data points from – what did this testing tell us to what is the physical makeup from a player perspective? As long as he hits some of those thresholds for a left tackle, then I don't think a team's going to struggle to project him there. I think that they can see him and say he has all the tools to play left tackle. It just so happens that he played with a darn good left tackle who was right. the same grade as him. So I don't think it would be a deterrence. And I think also Blake is one of those guys where the left tackle versus right tackle thing is going to be a great conversation. But I think that a player that could be potentially dominant like Blake Fisher at potentially four different spots, I think you look at him and say, like, we'll make it work. Like, I'll make that work. That, that's not a that's not a deterrence for me personally. So you do think that, like, team – I mean, teams will be able to say, like, you know, there's always an offensive line coach putting these kids through drills. Let's say Joe yep. and Blake both come out in the same year, hypothetically. I would imagine that teams will be working out both of them as left tackle in drills. I would imagine, I, correct? I mean, they're they're going to work him out everywhere. That's the great right. thing about the Senior Bowl is that, like, even a true left tackle, he's going to get some reps I'm, at all right I'm tackle. saying assuming they can't do that. Like, I'm just kind of going yeah. out the caveat of let's just say they can't play in the Senior well, Bowl because that's an easy that, one. You know, yeah. Like, Hainsey played three different positions at the Senior Bowl. Yes, he did. Yeah. And well, that I'll helped say, him a ton. I'll say this. When, when they get their pre-draft training, when they sign their agents and they start doing their pre-draft training, every agent or – the agents that Blake Fisher represents Blake Fisher that pays for his training facility, wherever he goes, whether that is Exos or Bomberito down in Miami, wherever he ends up going, they'll be he'll be practicing both a right hand and a left handed stance so that when he does the workouts for the teams, he'll be have a plenty of uh, practice working from a left, from a left tackle stance to, to mirror and pass protection and do all types of things. Cause the other thing about Blake is that Blake and his agents will know for sure they'll be like, he can make more money playing left tackle. So, sure. like, we're going to try to also convince teams sure. that he can play left tackle. So he, he will practice. It, it also gets you on more training. boards. I mean, you're going to be on the board at right tackle. And some teams, like the Niners, needed a right tackle when they drafted McGlinchey ninth, correct? I mean, they, right. they drafted him with the they, intention they had, they of being Joe's, a right tackle. Right. Yeah, they had Joe, they had Joe Staley still. So right. like they, they didn't have a big need at left tackle. Right. Yep. Now, the, the one thing that I'll say is people talk about that 2020 draft. 
with Jedrick mm-hmm. Wills. The only the only pushback I would make to that is I don't know if other than Andrew Thomas, the other tackles in that class necessarily were surefire left tackles. I mean, Tristan Wirfs is, I think, right playing tackle right tackle. Only. Right? right tackle only, yeah. Right. Mackay Becton, you he know. played both. Played but, left yeah. tackle in college, yeah. but, like, was it a surefire thing that he was going to be a left tackle in the pros? You know, so, I mean, that helped him, too. I mean, it's not like Ronnie Stanley and, and uh, you know, I'm trying to – I'm drawing a blank. Laramie Tunsil year where they were both mm-hmm. pure left tackles, right? I mean, that sure. that helped them, too. I think the after Andrew Thomas, the only pure left tackle in the draft class is Austin Jackson, and there was a big gap between Austin Jackson and the four guys that were taken oh. ahead of him. Austin Jackson's now playing right tackle for Miami. Yeah. He was a he, they used him at guard last year, and he right. was so bad, man. Yeah, Such a bad that player. makes no sense to me why they would do that. But you know, it's the Dolphins, <laughs> yeah. so whatever. Yes. They're pretty. Well, it, makes, it makes no it makes no sense to me why he yeah. would have drafted him in the top twenty. But yeah. that's another conversation for another day. Well. But great answers though, over there, Ryan, because I, I do think that's a fascinating topic. This whole Blake sure Fisher, is. Joe Walt thing, and and. Uh, you know, it just it's, says a lot. Yeah. It's very possible that there is two yeah. starting left tackles on in the NFL in the future on the roster right now. So that's pretty cool. Oh, well, that are going to be starters that are starting line. lineup. Yes. Yeah. On, in the yeah. starting lineup. I'm sure there's probably more in the future, but yes. Yeah. Sure. I knew what you meant. I mean, we're, you're yeah. not saying, well, you're not predicting Emil Wagner's never going to be a first round draft pick. It's just no. starting lineup. I get you. Right now. I get yep. you. Yeah. That's, uh, that's impressive. <laughs> that's it's really impressive. Bad, it's not that's bad. really impressive. There's no doubt. Seen worse. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. This is a good question for Milton fan 15. It was Brian and Ryan going back to 2021. You're the coach. Do you take transfer Jack Cohn as a backup and start Drew Pine or make Jack Cohn the starter as he was last year? Or do you have an alternative option? Can I give my yeah. alternative option first? Sure. I would have not screwed it up with Phil Dracovic. Sure. That's what I'd have done. Don't mm-hmm. be an idiot and screw that up. And then he's your starting quarterback. Well, he should have right. been your starting quarterback halfway through 2019. So, I mean, if there's an, an alternative and we can you know, kind of do retroactive stuff, I put Phil Dracovic in the starting lineup after Virginia Tech or for Virginia Tech. He becomes my starter in 2020, and 2021 is his last year, and I have a first-round draft pick at quarterback. Uh, so that would have been my uh, – and and he would have been more better better suited to handle the bad line last year than was Jack Cohn. Because we fair. saw him do that in 2020. His offensive line in 2020 was garbage. Sure was. And he would just bounce off guys. And then, I mean, he's so big and strong. He, just like, he, looked, he looked like Ben Roethlisberger, man. He, <laughs> he looked did. like a young Ben. It was he, had be. yeah. he had yeah, to be. He had to be. Really so did, that's what stunk about last year because the offensive line was, was a lot better last year and he didn't get to experience it a, a, a ton when he was healthy. Uh, that would have been my number one alternative. But uh, after that, Ryan – I'll let you answer the first two parts of the question. I mean, with, with the in Milton fan with with this particular scenario, I think that they made the right decision in just getting a Jack home because I think it made sense. I mean, I would have liked to say like Tyler Buckner's ready to play football, but with him missing two of the last three seasons, you're like, you know, he's not going to be ready to play right away as a freshman, obviously, right? So the bridge is a good idea. I think Jack Cohn did a solid job. I'll say this, Brian, we talked about that that. Kenny Pickett at one point had some interest in Notre Dame. Could you, I would be really interested to see what Notre Dame looked like last year if they had a Kenny Pickett comparative to a Jack Cohn. I think that would have been an interesting conversation. How do you think Kenny Pickett would have played for – first of all, there's no way yes. in heck Kenny Pickett's the number 20 overall pick if he plays in Notre I Dame I don't year. disagree with that. Don't disagree with that at all. Don't disagree. Uh, I mean, he just yeah. – he would have got – like he he was in a good situation. 
he made the right decision for him. Oh, for sure. For right. Sure. You would agree with that based yeah. on what we know about Notre Dame? 100%. Having said that, let's say he does make the move. What kind of year – what does a, does a Kenny Pickett-led offense look like last year compared to a Jack Cohn-led offense? I, I think it has a higher upside to it because I think the one thing that Kenny does do well that I would never push back on is – he does manage chaos pretty well, you know, like he can, he can make some guys miss in the pocket and he can kind of work out a structure a lot more than the Jack Cone. So, I, I mean, I think that you have a very good chance to beat Cincinnati last year. I mean, maybe they're an undefeated team going into, into the playoff conversation. So maybe they're a playoff team. I think it's possible. Is he going to have the really good numbers that he had comparative to Pitt? No, but he'd probably still be in similar ballpark as far as a production from Jack. But I also think he gives you some of that more rushing ability and he works out yeah. of pressure a lot better. So I think he just has ability to manage the chaos more than a Jack Cohn did. The only thing that I will say is I, I, I agree with everything you just said. I think the production would have been better. I do think it would have turned it over more. That's fair. That's fair. He, he will He will gunsling a little bit, especially yep. if he's facing pressure. And I don't mean that as like he doesn't handle pressure well. He just mm-hmm. sometimes tries to make plays when they're not there. Uh, and I think that got him in trouble against Miami, I, I thought, right. last year. But uh, I agree with you. I just think, he, yeah, he made the right decision. He did. I just – I don't disagree. Don't For disagree. me, yeah, it, I'm clearly starting Jack Cohn last year. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a believer in the whole transition year thing when you're mm-hmm. a place like Notre Dame at this stage in a coach's career. Uh I'm, 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 you know, it, it wasn't, you looked at the schedule and we said before the season, there's like two good teams in the schedule. That was it. I'm playing to win last year. And, and, you know, you, the offensive line was way worse than I thought it was going to be and didn't really know what it was going to be. I, I, I don't, I wouldn't change anything. Right. I I think if anything, Changes yeah, would have I, happened far before that. Somewhere else. Made. I'd yeah, have made a change exactly, at right yeah. guard. I'd have made a change. You know what I mean? I, I'd have made yeah. a lot more changes than than Jack Cohn. Like, I, I know Jack Cohn gets the brunt of for things from some people. I get it because he's the quarterback and it's just easy. Yeah. It's like people So Ian Book's record was this. No, that wasn't Ian Book's record. That was Notre Dame's record when Ian was Book the was team's record. as the yeah. quarterback. You know, uh, People love their quarterback win stat, man. Yes, yes. And, and, you know, I've I've used them before to make points. Yeah, I made one with Tony Rice recently. But, you know, I think there's something to the record against good teams and things like that. But, like, Notre Dame didn't lose to Cincinnati last year because of Jack Cohn. Mm -hmm. They lost to Cincinnati last year because Jack Cohn had zero supporting cast in that game. Because Michael Mayer was banged up the whole game, and he still made plays. Kevin Austin dropped a huge ball that would have, you know, I mean, he the offensive line was terrible. Mm-hmm. After the first run of the game, they couldn't run the ball. He got his face beat in. Like, I don't care who you put a quarterback last year. Unless Lamar Jackson found an extra year of eligibility, and, you know, you, you could bring him back for a year at Notre Dame because he could just – so athletic, he, he could get away from all that nonsense. Mm-hmm. I don't care who they had a quarterback last year. I mean, we just talked about how a guy that had 4,000-some yards, I, I don't think their record changes. I don't think they beat Cincinnati. I, I really don't. Because I, I think Cincinnati, after they got the 17 nothing lead, kind of mm-hmm. was like – and then you had the strip sack of Foskey. I think they were like, these guys can't score on us. Let's not do something stupid to give them another cheap score. 
That's kind of how it felt. That game was not as close as the 24 to 13 score. Now, maybe they'd have lost 34 to 23. But I just feel like when the line played as bad as it played and your receiver, your best receiver, was basically emotionally crushed in that game by Mm -hmm. Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant, you weren't going to win. You weren't going to win. I. Man, that that game really frustrates me so much because I know Sauce was legit, right? Yeah. Like he was he was le- legit, yeah. legit dude. Kobe Bryant was such an overrated football player. Oh gosh, I, yes. I I literally just watched the Miami Ohio game against Cincinnati. Where like anyone that Matt- voted for him to be the Jim Thorpe Award winner should have their voting privileges for that award revoked. Yeah, is that is that it's, a fair thing to say? You were watching yeah, him against Mick Hap Mick Mac Hippenhammer. Yeah. I, I kind of like Mac Hippenhammer watching that game, but I'm yeah. like, guys, this this is not a Jim Thorpe win award right. right now. Like, no chance, man. No chance. Yeah. I mean, because, was... like, the stats thing or whatever, but, like, if you watched Cincinnati last year, if you're a voter, and you came away saying, like, Kobe Bryant was the best defensive back on the field, and you're a liar, man. It's because like, they didn't watch Cincinnati last year. They looked right. at the stat sheet and said, hey, Cincinnati's a great defense. You know, it, it was just a – it was – I mean – his yeah. stats were what they were because nobody would throw at sauce. Nobody, Anyone, dude. Oh my gosh. Well, they even Miami, Ohio put Mac Hippenhammer to uh because sauce was always in the boundary. So he threw yeah. him into the boundary a couple of times. And I was like, oh, why would we ever do that again? <laughs> like yeah. put him to the field. Why would you yep. do that to that young man? Nope, Not smart. Do that. No. I'm assuming he didn't no. really have any catches into that situation either, I would imagine. I, I, he he barely got off the line in those situations. Yeah. I'm like, that's why he's a field receiver. He shouldn't be in the boundary. Shocker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was such a soul crushing game for Kevin Austin, man. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Mark E. Stewart. I like the coach for thank you for the super chat, Mark. I like that Coach Freeman is emphasizing mental and physical toughness, another form of gap closing. That is a great point, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. Because you're absolutely right. It's they were never meant and, and I've heard former players admit that publicly and in private conversation that they just they were never ready for those games because mm-hmm. the coaches would get super uptight and it would create this really, really weird emotional dynamic. But when your players are mentally tough, it's almost like the coaches can't mess you up. And that's what I think coach Freeman is, is, is building. And it's uh it's a smart thing. I mean, this is the time that you, that you do that. You don't have a, you're not preparing for a game for Saturday. You're preparing your team most emotion. You're still in the emotional and mental building process. And that's what starts in the winter, goes through the spring, and then the summer in an early fall camp where you're still building your team's personality more so than you're building your team's scheme. Now, of course, you're practicing those things, but they're not necessarily the point of emphasis for the head coach. They're important for the coordinators, but for the head coach, you're still team building. Yep. And and you're building the person you're you're it's the final touches of your team. Because if you really ride them hard all spring and summer and then back off as soon as fall camp starts, by the time mm-hmm. season starts, they're gonna be the team that you were in fall camp. So yeah, Mark, I love love what he's doing. Mm-hmm. We also have a super chat from Travis Singleton. Appreciate that, Travis. He says, let's use Javon McKinley's 2020 season as a benchmark, a really good performance, but not outstanding in my opinion. Which receivers do you see surpassing that effort in 2022? Can I say something real quick? Sure. I actually think Javon was really good in 2022. He should have got thrown the ball a lot more. 
And I think you go look at the first drive of this uh, uh, against Clemson, Ryan, in the ACC title game. He beats that guy on a corner route on third down. Ian just wasn't willing to stick with it. I think he would have been a thousand yard receiver this year, that year, if Ian would have just thrown him half the balls he should have thrown him in that game, in that season. Fair. You know, like, like Alabama, it's like we said this before the game. He's not going to be open per se. Just mm-hmm. throw him back shoulders like you did Get against Clemson shot. and let him go win. And what they threw him one, and look what happened. He caught it for like a, almost a 30 yard game. Yeah. Right. It, it was that was the problem that held Javon back. I mean, and the other thing about Javon is Javon's two best games that year were the mm-hmm. two biggest regular season games of the season. Yeah. You know, like like the dude stepped up and and that the the Clemson, the first Clemson game was one of the few games where like Ian just let her rip. And I thought he was really good for a chunk of the game. And then of course he they went conservative as an offense and all that. But I mean, Javon was in 2020 was money. I mean, it just to me it was more of an opportunity thing. You know, I, he had I, one catch for seven yards through the first two games of the year. True. Yeah. So I I, yeah. I I was really happy for Javon that year because I loved him coming out of it was a centennial, right? That he came yeah, out of Corona he Centennial, was, yeah. He was incredible, man. So I I was happy because I know he obviously had a lot of up and up more downs than ups in his career up until that point. So I was happy he was able to have to finish that off. Yeah, I uh, now to the question that Travis asked, which mm-hmm. receivers do you see surpassing that effort in 2022? So statistically, Javon had 42 catches for 717 yards, three touchdowns in 12 games. And while the, the the touchdown thing about him that year was the weirdest part, like they just never threw to him in the in the uh, the red zone, and but 42 catches, 717 yards, three touchdowns. How many guys at receiver do you think surpassed that this year? I think one for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think that for me, it's Lorenzo Styles is my guy, and I'm going to continue pounding that table. I know that there's stuff that he needs to be more consistent with, and he needs to continue to grow only being a sophomore, but I think he's going to have a high impact to that. I could see, I mean, Brian, I could see, I could see a Braden Lindsay or an Avery Davis having the similar yardage i mean maybe avery yeah. has some close to that receptions but similar yardage i think both those guys could be in the ballpark as well maybe not quite as much but i i for me i think that i think that in my projection i have lorenzo going 800 plus and i have those guys somewhere around like 600 yards ish mm-hmm. you know like that's kind of what i see personally i could see i think you're a i think you're your separation of catches and yards is makes a ton of sense Mm -hmm. because the thing about Javon that year is Javon was a big play guy. He averaged 17.1 yards per catch. If Avery Davis catches 42 balls this year, he's not going to be at 700 yards. It's just the nature of the position he plays. I mean, it, it, it has nothing to do with Avery's game. Avery's faster than Javon. It's the nature of the position he plays. And he's going to be catching a lot, a lot more balls, less than five yards past the line of scrimmage than Javon was when he was playing, right? And that's that's the difference. And if you look at like the average depth of target, I guarantee you, Devon, Javon's ad, average depth of target is going to be much further down the field than what Avery's is. That's what I mean by that. I could see, I could see at least two guys passing him catches wise, and two different guys, and two guys passing him yardage wise. And it not being the same two guys. I think one guy will surpass him on both. I think that's Lorenzo, assuming he's healthy. And I could see somebody else. I could see Avery pass him catches wise. I could some somebody else kind of being similar, 40 catches for 700 some yards. Like 
Braden Lindsay would only need 35 to 40 catches to match Javon's or surpass Javon's yardage numbers. Would you agree with that? And and that would be true if uh, if a Tobias Merriweather steps up and has somewhat of a Justin Ross type freshman year, meaning like not the pure volume because Justin got his, you know, Justin Ross that year in, in 2000 and um, in 2000 and it was 19, 18 was his freshman year, correct? Yeah. He had a thousand yard receiving that year on 46 catches, but he played 15 games. Right. Right. You know, I mean, he, he averaged 66.7 yards per game. If you if you put that towards Notre Notre, you know, a normal 13 game season for Notre Dame, it's 867. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, I could see like a Tobias Merriweather if he's in the rotation day one, getting there yards wise, even if he doesn't necessarily get there catches wise, because I think he'll be a, a big play guy. Thoughts on? I mean, is that? It's fair. Seem like no, plausible I, thing. Yeah. Yeah. My biggest thing is like target share, I think is something that I'm struggling mm-hmm. with a little bit. Like you mentioned Tobias. It's like, I don't know quite how much, I mean, we, I think that he's going to play obviously. And, but everything we're hearing, like they expect him to possibly be a dude at some point this year. And it's like, how much targets does he take away from an Avery Davis? How much opportunity mm-hmm. does he take away from a Lorenzo styles? So, I mean, I could, I don't know, man, it's going to be a tough thing to predict, but it's a good, problem to have because that means guys are stepping up it's making you kind of question what is the target share going to be but it's again it's it's good that you have multiple guys that you're kind of like he could be the dude or that guy could be the dude or that guy Mm -hmm. could be the tart you know the the volume guy potentially so it's it's going to be interesting but the Mm -hmm. only the only one that i'm convinced about well actually two guys i'm convinced about one is that Avery Davis, if healthy, is going to get some targets. Like, I know mm-hmm. that he's going to have some catches. He's going to do his thing in the slot. And the other one for me is Lorenzo Styles. I think he's going to be a dude. It's just my personal opinion, though. Yep. But we'll, we'll see how it all Ryan is going to die on that hill, and I understand it 100%. going to die on it, man. Yep. 100%. Yep. You're, you're, guy, not, man. you're not it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Ryan, we have a couple interesting questions about your okay. personal life. Okay. Uh Irish Falcon says, I'm guessing Brian's 42. Thank you for thinking I'm only 42. Uh, how old are you, Ryan? Question from the wife of Irish Falcon. We watched the show together. I have a very cute granddaughter you should meet. Uh, I hate to break it to you, Irish Falcon, but uh, Ryan is happily married and has a one-year-old daughter with his wonderful wife, who I have had a chance, had the pleasure to meet. Yes. So I hate to break it to you. Um, you uh, Ryan is off the market. Happily married, yes. But I am 30. If that, yes. I guess I'll answer yes. half that question. Yes. I'm 30. Yes. Uh, she also asked, uh, you're very knowledgeable about Notre Dame. I agree. Uh, how did you end up at Notre Dame? Or how did you end up at Irish Breakdown? Do you want to share that story, Ryan? Yeah, let's do it. So I was actually – so a couple years ago, I was actually doing Locked on Irish on the Locked on Podcast Network, and I had asked Brian to come on the show. So he came on once or twice. And then I remember we just kind of had a, you know, a working relationship where like we were just kind of message back and forth about, you know, different draft prospects and Notre Dame football. And I would bug him with some recruiting questions from time to time. And then we eventually, Brian asked if I wanted to do some NFL draft content for the site from time to time. So I was like, yeah, like we could do that. Like a, so I started doing a prospect matchup a piece every week for Notre Dame season and then I remember I actually saw that the position opened up. I think Brian posted it on Twitter and I was looking at it and I was like, that sounds really interesting. You know, I, I, I've obviously I had a relationship with Brian. I knew him and I, and I approached you about a recommendation for someone else. 
Yes. Remember? <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 My buddy had uh, had some interest in the position at the time, and I remember I asked Brian. I was like, "Hey, could I interview for this? Like, I would be interested in interviewing." And it, I don't, I didn't think it was in the cards, honestly. But then, you know, we talked, and I think both of us came to a, a really good, you know, v- viewpoint of what the other wanted to accomplish from that perspective. And luckily, it all worked out. Here I am. It did. So it did. Yeah. I did not have an intention of hiring Ryan when he first interviewed. I did it because uh, we had, you know, I, I consider us professionally professional friends. You know, uh, when you came in for the Cincinnati game last year, you came to my house and you know parked your RV in my driveway, and and I had a lot of respect for the job Ryan does. Uh, but I, I just this was a different animal than what he'd ever done before, and so, but I gave him the interview out of respect. Just you know, I, I mean, I hope that. You know, I want somebody I trust and I trusted Ryan. And and so he did a great job. And and uh, there's a couple other guys I interviewed that did a really good job as well, including Joe, uh, who was who is who I asked you about. And uh, it just it was it was tough because I thought Joe did a great job. And there was somebody else we interviewed. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll say it. It was Kyle Kelly, who is now covering Notre Dame for recruiting for rivals. He did a really good job of the interview. Really nice kid. Uh, did a good job. But it was it was clear to me that Ryan was the best guy for the job. The question I had was, honestly, is this really what you want to do? You know, because you're an NFL draft guy. I think that was the big, the only hangup that you and I had. But he was fired up about doing this. And once I was convinced that this was definitely what he wanted to do, uh, it was a no-brainer. And I think so far it's worked out incredibly well. But uh, doesn't change the sense of the simple fact that Ryan is still married, Irish Falcon. So. I- I, I, I apologize for your to your granddaughter, I, who I'm sure is lo- who I'm, I'm sure, sure is lovely. Yeah, I, I keep mine right by. I don't wear it anymore. I don't like wearing rings. I just I don't uh-huh. like I don't do necklaces or I just don't like it. But I always keep it right here, so she's always in my my mind. Or if she comes down and she's mad at me, I can be like, "What, sweetie? Huh? What? Wait, when <laughs> when you when you're truly in love, you don't have to wear a ring. Yeah, let's be honest. Yeah. Well, some people said I should get a um get a tattoo there but i also don't like tattoos me i don't have a i don't have a problem with tattoos my sister has a bunch of them my wife has one uh, it's just me i don't like needles i, I don't i i have several as well yeah, yeah it's fine no issue with it it's just for me it's just not my my thing like i said plus i don't like needles at all mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i don't like yeah needles and tongue depressors when i was a kid i had a, a doctor ready he was really he's my you know, pediatrician, but he put a tongue depressor on my mouth a little too far in there. And I threw him across the room. I was like 10. He's like, Oh my goodness. Uh, so really good dude. But, uh, yeah, I just needles are not my thing, man, but, uh, feel that definitely not my thing. So, and I'm definitely not getting one on a sensitive part of my body. Like, like there. So oh, that, that probably wouldn't be that bad though. Yeah. I don't know. Not, not my thing. I just don't, I don't like rings. I don't like watches. I don't, I just, I'm not a big fan of stuff on my hands, but anyway, I digress. We're getting off the rails a little bit. So Irish Falcon, hate to break it to you, Ryan is taken. Chase talks sports. The problem is if Phil Dracovic stayed, we would still have the previous coach due to the success, and we wouldn't be here celebrating a new commit. My man, Brian Kelly left Notre Dame going into a weekend where a win by Georgia knocks and puts Notre Dame in the playoff. With all due respect, Brian Kelly was going to leave the minute a school like LSU was willing to throw enough money at him. He didn't want to be Mm -hmm. here. This is true going all the way back to 2015. Like, if Brian Kelly got the right offer, he would have left a long time ago. 
if anything, because and I've come around on this because I used to think like, honestly, I had the same thought that Chase did. If Phil stayed, Notre Dame would have been better and Kelly would still be here. Then I reverted to actually, I actually think that that Notre Dame might have been better in 2020 and Kelly might have left then. Sure. Because they would have been more competitive. They, you know, I think they could have beat Clemson in a rematch. You know, I think they could have, you know, maybe played Alabama tougher. They wouldn't have beat Alabama with Phil Jacoby quarterback in 2020, but it, it would have been a more competitive game, in my mm-hmm. opinion. And, you know, maybe then Kelly leaves in 2020, and we're not talking about Marcus Freeman because Kelly would have left earlier if he would have stayed with Phil Jacoby. That would that would be the other thing. But uh it it didn't work out that way either way. And uh I think we're all okay with how it's panned out because we yep. can still root for Phil to be successful and be happy that Marcus Freeman and his staff are now in charge. And, and, and Brian has his family down in Baton Rouge. So we're good. Uh, Zach Nichols says also, how big of a deal do you think it is that Notre Dame is loading up on the offensive side of the ball early in 2024, as opposed to 22 and 23 when it was all defense early on. I think it's a good sign. I mean, more than anything, Zach, I think it's just the the repercussions of getting a five-star quarterback in the class, right? Like that's why you are seeing the offensive side blow up comparative to 2023 where you had the defensive mind that was still in the building and Marcus Freeman obviously did a great job recruiting. So that's why the defensive side filled up a lot quicker than the offensive side of the football. So I think it's a really good sign. I mean, you don't want to – obviously you want to knock it out of the park on – both right. sides of the football, but I think it's big time that you had CJ Carr early in this class and you are reaping the benefits so far from that. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I think that's massive. I, I, I think it's a, like you said, it's a good sign. It's a good yeah. sign that there's, and, and it's not just numbers. We're focusing on numbers. Numbers don't mean a thing. Texas tech's going to have a bunch of kids in their class and they're not going to finish in the top 10, right? It's the quality of the numbers, Ryan, Here's a stat that I tweeted out last night. You saw this tweet, right? 12 of Notre Dame's 23 commits in the 2023 class are top 100 players by at least one recruiting service. It's over half your class. Here's the even crazier part. 22 of their 23 commits are four-star top 250 kids by at least one recruiting service. 22 out of 23. Because Joe Otte ranked 224 by 247. Preston mm-hmm. Zinter's like 223 on rival, something like that. Liza Page is in the 230s by 247. Jade Lamar's in the top 250 by by 247 and, and ESPN, I believe, both. At least, mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely 247. Yeah. Every kid, the only exception is, is, is Ben Minich. And here's the other thing. Every single recruit, all 23 recruits are graded as a four-star recruit by at least one service. Every single one. It's incredible. It's insane. Yeah, and you look at the the six kids in the 2024 class. Three of the four are ranked as top hundred. Three of the six, excuse me, are ranked as top hundred players uh, by at least one service, and that's Peter Jones, uh, Jack Larson, and CJ. No, actually, four of the six. Excuse me, four of the six are mm-hmm. ranked as four. This is a wild stat. Four of the six are ranked as top hundred players. CJ Carr, Peter Jones, Jack Larson, and Brandon Davis Wayne. Mm-hmm. Cam Williams is not ranked in the top 100 by any of them, but he is ranked 82nd overall in the consensus. 
that's still that still gives me a headache to think about because yeah, I, I get it. He's get ranked it. high by everybody, and somebody's got a kid ranked in the hundred, and another but has him in the three hundreds. Sure, it's insane. Sure. But yeah. he's the highest he's ranked in the two thousand twenty four class is a hundred fourth by rivals, mm-hmm. but he's eighty two overall in the consensus. Now, I actually think the consensus is accurate for Cam Williams. I think he is a Agreed. top 100 player. So five of your players are either consensus or ranked by someone in the top 100. So in two years, in a two-cycle class, they've got 29 commitments. Mm-hmm. 17 of those 29 are top 100 players by at least one recruiting service. 17 of 29. It's insane. It's bananas. Like, yeah. It really is insane just how the the volume of impact players, but the difference between this class in 24 compared to 22 is in this class, it's more balanced of those highly ranked players. Because on offense, you've got Jaden Lamar, you've got, excuse me, Jaden uh, Greathouse, you've got Braylon James, you've got Charles Jagasaw and, and Sullivan Absher are all top 100 recruits. And uh, Cooper Flanagan's right outside the top 100 by, I think, 247. Now, mm-hmm. the defense is still better, right? But it's a much closer gap than it was the year before. And in 2024, the offense is actually off to a better start. Now, better start numbers-wise. It's not like the defense is struggling. The defense is just in a position because they've had two great years in a row where they're a little, being a little bit more picky in 2024. Uh, selective. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, really, really good questions. Really good questions. Great question. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, let me see here. Okay, here's one. Uh, 99 props mm-hmm. BK1. Listen to you talk about Stanley McGlinchey. Is Emil Wagner like either of them from a floor, ceiling, and development needs pers- needs perspective? M- McGlinchey was really skinny coming out, right? Because he was Not like, quite like a tight skinny, end. but yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. He was like 250 at one point in time in his high school career. But he was yeah. probably closer to 280. When he enrolled at Notre Dame, gotcha. but you're correct. He was not a guy that had necessarily had a great build like Joe Walt, where we knew Joe Walt was eventually going to get 300 pounds. We, I just didn't think it was going to be as quick as it was. Sure. I was curious. I was knew he was going to get there. McGlinchey was a little bit more of a question mark. Did you, did you have did you have questions about McGlinchey getting to three plus? Like a little that, bit, yeah. In your mind, yeah, but okay. I loved him as a prospect. I mean, I was like this gotcha. guy. I used I used to have an argument with somebody I used to work with didn't think McGlinchey was any good. And I was like, this guy's, if this guy can put on the same thing I said about Emil Wagner, mm-hmm. it, but Mike had a bigger frame though. That's the thing is Mike right. had broad shoulders and, and you know, like six, mean? eight. Yeah. yeah right, right. Right. You know, if he puts on the weight, he's going to be really good. And same thing with Emil. So I, I think the McGlinchey comparison fits. Ronnie was always big. Like Ronnie yeah. was going to easily be 315, 320 pounds. You, you knew, I mean, he was listed like 285. He always looked a little bigger than that. He had like, really broad shoulders, really long arms. And Ronnie had a thick lower body. That's the difference between Ronnie in high school and Mike and Emil. The problem mm-hmm. with McGlinchey and Emil is they're both kind of skinny in the lower body. That's the question mark. Is like yeah. Mike was built more like a power forward. Emil is mm-hmm. built more like a basketball player or a tight mm-hmm. end than he is an offensive lineman. Ronnie was right. built like an offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. And so that's the difference. So I, I do think from a body type floor ceiling standpoint, 99, that Emil Wagner and Mike McGlinchey are pretty good comparisons. I will say this. Mike had the better frame. Emil was more athletic and more powerful at the same age. Just saying something. Say but a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just Mike 
I was more certain that Mike was eventually going to get to be at least 295, right? I didn't know if I anticipated him getting to 310, 315, but I do at least be 295, you know, 300 by the time his career was over. Yeah. You know, Emil, I don't, I can't answer that. I, I look, get there I, and maintain the athleticism. But right. I've said before, when Mike McGlinchey retires from football, he'll be down to 250 within a year. I'd be willing to bet you. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. He just, he has a different, he has oh, that kind of frame. It's it's like Joe Thomas. You remember Joe Thomas? Yeah. Like oh, Joe God, Thomas I don't recognize like, him anymore. He was just like 303, but even he said that like he had to work to keep mm-hmm. that 300 pounds on. And then as soon as gone, mm-hmm. gone. Yep. So yeah, I mean, we'll see, man. I'll, I'll say this. If, yeah. if, if Emil Wagner can be 290 plus and maintain the athleticism he has, then he'll be a star at Notre Dame. I, I think yeah. he'll be a star player at Notre Dame. I don't think he has to be 300. I don't personally think he has to. Right. Be. Robert Hainsey spent plus. Robert Hainsey spent almost entire career at Notre Dame around 290. Yeah. I mean, he he just did. Uh, Zach Martin didn't get past 295 until his fifth year. Yeah. You know, he spent most of his career around a, 290. Because it's not a it's not a power issue with Emil Wagner. Like he has mm-hmm. power for as big as he is. So it's not like you need him to get to 290 so that he has enough power mm-hmm. to play. It's just that. He just doesn't have the frame to work, you know, like in condensed spaces right now. Like it's going to be tough for him. Let's explain why this matters. Cause somebody on the message yeah. board last night asked a great question. We did a, I was working last night and trying to get stuff done. And I was like, you know, I want to talk football. And Ryan, I knew Ryan was in bed and I knew <laughs> Vince was in bed. So, and, and Sean, Sean wasn't available. So I was like, okay, let's, let's talk some ball on the chat. One of the questions was, is why does an offensive lineman need to be this big if he's going against guys that weigh 250, 260 pounds? Great question. And the the point that I made was essentially is there are certain things that are important for both sides of the ball. Leverage, quickness off the ball, uh, you know, playing, you know, winning, winning the battle, you know, winning the ball battle off the snap. But here's where it gets around it. The defensive lineman's goal is to avoid you, get around you. The block destruction is important. He's trying to disengage from you, and he's not trying to move you. He's trying to get around you. If a defensive lineman does his job correctly, he is disengaging from contact. There's no weight needed there in that regard unless you're playing. But but why does the Alabama defense in the back in the day and why did the Georgia defense require their noses and and five techs to be so big? Because they needed to stay engaged. The goal of the 3-4-2 gapping defense, Ryan, is I need to not only stay engaged with you, I need to stay engaged with him. I need to eat up two gaps. That's what a two-gap defense is. The only way you can eat up two gaps is if you have two guys blocking you. So the goal is to stay engaged, which requires mass. Isaiah Foskey's goal is to not stay blocked. So, And the other thing is I'm trying to get around you I'm not trying to move you. An offensive lineman, just like a defensive lineman in a 3-4-2 gapping defense, needs to stay engaged and move people. At the point of contact, here's the difference. So at the snap of the ball, you're going to have an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman kind of both come here, right, trying to win a leverage and quickness battle. The difference is is the offensive lineman is trying to keep it right here and then move you back while engaged requires mass. A def- defensive lineman in a non-two-gapping system's goal is to try to create separation and then get around with mm-hmm. disengagement. That requires different traits. 
So that is why an offensive lineman needs the, that's the, the simplest way that I can explain it, Ryan. If you think there's a better way or more to add, please do. But that's the way that I explain it is an offensive lineman needs to stay engaged and move people. And yep. that requires a level of strength and technique and leverage, but it also requires mass because a 275 pound guy can't move a 260 pound guy. It's just, it's too close in, in, in there, you know, it's just, yeah. it's just the way that it is. You need to have the additional mass to be able mm-hmm. to, to do that and then play at that weight. It's just, there's, there's a cap, right? It's like how strong can a 267 pound guy get? Cool. Mm-hmm. We hit that ceiling, but it's still going to be higher if you're 290 pounds, you can right. still carry that strength, right? Like it's just a natural thing. A 290 pound guy, we're talking about the same player, right? So I'm not comparing a random 290 guy to a random 265 guy. I'm saying Emil Wagner at 267 versus Emil Wagner at 290 that was developed properly. The 290 version is going to be stronger than the 267 version. Like that's just basic. But even here, Ryan, let's say a 265-pound guy and a 290-pound guy both can bench the same amount of weight the same amount of times. Sure. Say, well, this guy's just as strong as I got. That's fine. How much are they using their legs in that battle? Here's the different mm-hmm. thing. Put 500 pound, put a 500 pound dummy out there, mm-hmm. right? And say, who of you can move it the furthest? The 265 pound guy can match me upper body strength, but I have about 30 pounds in my butt and thighs okay. on him and yeah. my core, my gut. Cause where's all that weight coming from? It's not here. It's mm-hmm. in my core. Where does yep. power come from to move people? It's in your core, stomach, hips, butt thighs right mm-hmm. that's where it comes from and that's why a guy that two guys can bench the same amount of weight the guy that's 30 40 pounds heavier with the thicker lower body is going to have a naturally more powerful lower frame that's going to allow him to move people yeah. right and so that's the difference it's it's not the benching it's the using your whole body to move something and mm-hmm. i hope that that um i i hope that that helps kind of explain the difference i love it because i think it's a very fair question ryan especially since it used to be you could be 270 and be an offensive line what's the major that studies the the movement of the body do you know what i'm talking about there's a major in college what is it kinesiology kinesiology yeah this is a kinesiology podcast i love it man love it (laughs) we talk about all types of things here man all (laughs) types of things here all right let's see you got some more questions uh let's see here Here's one, the JMRI. It's this question. I was talking to a buddy yesterday, and he asked why Big Ten, why the Big Ten has a lot of defensive draft picks, but not great defenses. Do you agree with the premise that they don't have a lot of great defenses in the Big Ten? Not as much. No, I, I kind of think a, the exact opposite, to be honest not, with you. Not, not on a year-to-year basis, definitely not. I yeah. Mean, I know Ohio State's been down for a couple years defensively, but like traditionally they've had good defenses. Iowa yeah. always has a good defense. Wisconsin always has a good defense. I mean, I, nah, I, I, Michigan State usually has a good defense. Michigan usually has a good defense. I would I would say that that's a little. I was always really good on defense. Wisconsin's always yeah. really good on defense. Penn State's mm-hmm. been. I mean, the strength of Penn State's team in recent years has been its defense. I mean, the yeah. post Joe Moorhead Penn State, the only success they've had is because of their defense. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually disagree with the premise that that um, that it is a that that they don't have really good defenses. I I, I yeah. think that they don't get the credit. If anything, this is a perception thing for me. 
the mm-hmm. perception is that the SEC has great defense. Well, statistically, the SEC hasn't been nearly as good on defense in recent years as, the, as people make it out to be. They've had a couple teams great at defense. LSU sure. didn't win a title in 19 because of their defense. Mm-hmm. Alabama didn't win a title in 2020 because of their defense. Matter of fact, their defense also, also almost kept them from winning a title in 2020. You know, and, and so to me, that's the, it's a lot of it's perception. Why yeah. does Iowa not get the credit for who they who, what they've been on defense the last few years? Because they're Iowa. Sure, they're not sexy, but go but go look what Iowa has done on defense in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're let's, really let's, and, and they put a lot of guys in the NFL too. That's what also doesn't get discussed enough. Wisconsin does a fantastic job on a yes. year basis. I mean, Jim Leonard is the hottest, pretty much the hottest name as far as a defensive yeah. coordinator in college football, as far as like younger guys, because he's fantastic. Right. I mean, year, year, and year out. It's fantastic. Ryan, Iowa has not given up 20 points a game since 2015. Oh, Phil Parker's excellent, man. Yeah. He's an excellent defensive coordinator. Yep. Since then, Iowa's given up 18.8, 19.9, 17.8, 14.16, .9, and then last year, 19.2. Mm-hmm. And that's inflated a little bit because they got absolutely curb stomped by Michigan. But they gave up 42 to Michigan. The next highest point total they gave up all season was 23 points and a win over Illinois. That's pretty good. That's really good defense. Yeah. So, you know, like you said, Wisconsin, like, you know, Wisconsin's numbers last year were a little bit inflated because they gave up 41 points in their day. Well, they only gave up 24 points on offense. They gave up 16 and they gave up 16.2 points per game last year. They gave up 38 to Michigan and 41 to Notre Dame. 20, like I said, they only really gave up 24 points on offense. The rest mm-hmm. of the year, they gave up 16, 7, that 38, is... 0, 14, 13, 7, 3, 7, 28 against Nebraska in a win, 13 in a loss, and 13. They didn't lose last year because of their defense. That If you remember that Michigan game, too, that Michigan mm-hmm. was a little tilted because yeah. Wisconsin's offense was awful. Like the Terrible. defense was just all Much the like field. the Notre Dame game. And they happen back to back games. You're absolutely right. Yes. And we see this every year where Wisconsin goes and plays, uh, you know, a, a team from the SEC or something like that in a bowl game. They don't mm-hmm. give up a lot of points. No. You know, they gave up 13 points last year uh, in a bowl game. They beat Wake Forest 42 to 28 the year before, completely shut Wake Forest down compared to what other people were doing. Even mm-hmm. in the Rose Bowl game, I mean, they did a really good job against Justin Herbert in that offense. I mean, they did a really nice job keeping them competitive. Beat Miami 35-3 to in a bowl game the year before that. Uh, you know, beat Miami 34-24 to in a bowl game the year before that. Beat Western Michigan 24-16 to in a bowl game the year before that. Gave up 21 points to, in a win over USC the year before. And they gave up the highest point total they gave up that year. Uh, this would be the 2015 season. The highest point total they gave up that year was 35 points to Alabama in the opener, a year when Alabama scored, won the national championship by scoring 38 points and 45 points in the postseason to beat Michigan State and Clemson. Mm-hmm. So I disagree with the premise that the Big Ten doesn't have really good defenses. I think it does. If not great defenses. I think that's been the strength of the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. I think the argument would be is they put some they put some guys in the NFL. Like, sure. And and they're not they don't have the offensive success. It's usually because there's just a guy. A team has mm-hmm. a guy. Right. But I think it goes back to the quarterback play. That's that's what hurts the offenses. They're just having that great quarterbacks coming out of the Big Ten in recent seasons. That's fair. But uh yeah, I, I disagree with the premise that that uh the Big Ten doesn't have really great defense. And you know what else I think hurts the perception is because the premier team doesn't have a good defense. 
Mm-hmm. And that's Ohio State. They don't play good defense. What drove Michigan's championship run last year, or playoff run last year, Big Ten championship run last year? It's their defense. And their offensive line. Yep, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with that premise a little bit. But, man, I, I love the question because, I mean, I, I love questions like that. I mean, we, we like talking football during the during the, the, the mailbag part because I think we get a lot of questions like this that, that kind of lead to some really fun conversations about college football. No, no yep. doubt about it. So let's see. I think we're getting kind of close uh, towards the end of questions, Ryan. Let me just kind of scroll through here at the bottom here, see if there's any any more questions. If we missed any. Looks, looks like there's a great debate yeah. between quarterback play and team success happening in this chat, looks like. Yeah. yeah. And let me guess, the people that don't think it requires great player only referring to Georgia as the exception to the rule or Bama I, from eight years ago. I stopped reading halfway okay. through. Yeah, the, you, you don't use the exceptions to define the rule. And that's the reality of it. If Notre Dame in a few years can have a defense where they literally have six potential first-round draft picks on their defensive line, mm-hmm. then sure, we can sure. we can have that conversation where they don't need a great quarterback. But uh, that's not normally the way that it goes. And if they win a title because, uh, you know, they've got Derrick Henry at running back, sure. Okay. Sure. They, don't need, they can win with Jacob Coker. <laughs> you know what I mean? If he's throwing, if he's yes. handing off, to, you know, because think about who he had on the team. He's handing off to Derrick Henry. He's throwing to OJ Howard. You know what I mean? Like, uh, didn't he also have, uh, wasn't Calvin Ridley also on that 2015 Alabama team? Pro- probably. I probably. think he was. So he may have been a freshman. He was. Year, I think. Not, yeah, yeah, he was. And he had a thousand yards receiving. And he also had a, a Darius Stewart on that team. Uh, <laughs> he's a good player. Uh, right. Good he had OJ Howard. He had, uh, Robert Foster, he had Kenyon Drake, and of course a running back by the name of Derrick Henry. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Heard, heard him. He heard he was pretty good at Timber Creek High School. Yeah, and he had a decent year that year in 2015. He was okay. You know, 2,219 yards, uh, 28 touchdowns. That's okay, it's right? It's decent. It's not bad. It's decent he for was, a career. He, he oh was, wait, no, whole whole one season. And, and and he was a backup for most of his career at Alabama yeah. too, which is pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah, it uh, it's a little nuts. It's a little nuts. So I'm just going to go through here and make sure I didn't miss any super chats, everybody. I hope I got to them all. A lot of great questions today. Um, and I asked Mr. Adamiola, Adamiola, how, and he says Adamiola. I think he, he said that I'm pronounced, I pronounce his name correctly, but he's going to listen to me say it again and just to make sure. But he said I'm pronouncing it correctly, Adamiola. Good. We shall see. Uh, we shall see. He's going to listen to it and then come back and correct me later. Like, oh, you actually don't get it right. <laughs> so that's what's probably going to happen. So last one from Ryan Z. We'll end it oh, on this no. one. Got to end with a draft right. question. Question right. for Ryan. What would JT Daniels draft stock be heading into the upcoming season, upcoming college football season? I mean, JT has now been at three different colleges. He's at West Virginia now, which I found right. out a couple weeks ago. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, I mean, Ryan, honestly, he hasn't played enough, right? Like he's a, he, right now he's a priority free agent. Someone will pick him up because there's some talent there, but like he has been at three different schools for a reason and he hasn't mm-hmm. been healthy for the majority of his career. And he's just, there's been some flashes. Like, I mean, when he was on Georgia, I thought there were a couple, couple of nice flashes early on, you know, with when he was able to play. But I mean, well, later on, I guess in the 2020 season, but he just hasn't played enough. So he's a priority free agent right now. We'll see what type of season he has this year for West Virginia. I just think there's so much other stuff there, Ryan, that I I think like, again, let me ask you this. What kind of season does he have to have to get on people's draft boards as a potential draftable player? Day two guy. 
Oh, right? day two? Oh, like, is that know, even man. possible at this point in time? So I, then I with, with the injury stuff, I'd say he's a day yeah. three dart throw. Even okay. If he has a great year. If I'm so what honest. does he have yeah. to do to be a day three guy? Because here's the thing I'll say. Mm-hmm. I watched him when he was a sophomore in high school at Notre Dame's camp. And I said, I've never seen anyone throw a better ball than that kid. I mean, it yeah. was a, I mean, I remember sitting there with loose emoji and we're just like looking at each other, like, is this serious? Like, this is a sophomore uh, rising junior in high school. Yeah. You know, throwing a ball like this, like he throws a beautiful football. Yeah. But he just hasn't been able to be a great quarter. I mean, his high school film was just insane. Just insane. He was was crazy modern day. Yeah. You know, that's kind of my thing is like, does anybody take a chance on that? Or is they just don't even, that guy doesn't exist anymore in their minds. I mean, I'm genuinely asking because, you know, from an NFL standpoint, like if he goes out this year, let's say he throws for 4,000 yards and 38 touchdowns and makes it through the whole year. Where be, where is he on boards? Well, if if he's if he's if he's having that type of season, then he's definitely going to get drafted because there is a pedigree to him. It's just it's been about injuries and consistent tape. Like there's just not enough tape out there. If we're being completely honest, but if he has that type of season, Brian, also he'll be at the Senior Bowl or he'll be at the East West Shrine game right. because he's going to be eligible for those games. Sure. And he's been a guy that has a name. It's just like right now he's just a wild card. Like you don't. Uh, but if he has that type of season, he'll probably get drafted because he does have some talent to work with. Right. It's just you have to see it. You know. So you do you think, think he could be like a middle of the draft guy if he has a great year and then does really well at the Senior Bowl? Like I mean, think like fourth, fifth round. Because again, we're talking about in a league that overdrafts that position. Right. I guess like if Ian Book can be a fourth to... round pick, can a right. can JT Daniel sneak there? You know. Sure, sure. I guess the answer is sure. I just would need to see what else happens with the rest sure. of the quarterback class. You know, sure. like I need to see does Phil Dracovic stay healthy for a full year? Right. Are there some guys that are risers in the group? Like, do some underclassmen does, come out early, like right. Tanner McKee and some? Is is right, is an Anthony Richardson worth the hype that he's getting? Like, sure. there's a lot of question marks right now. It, yeah. Talent wise, does he have enough? Sure, it's just sure. about like I, I, there's a lot that needs to happen for that to happen. Yeah. Though. This is a great question from Ryan along the same lines. Did the whole reclassifying thing hurt Daniels? I believe it did. Look, I do. I think he needed that year to mature, right? Because what what did you say? Couldn't stay healthy. And he just mentally has never, like maturity-wise, never really got it. He was starting games at USC when he should have been a senior in high school. And he says, well, he's old for his age. I don't care. It's about going through that period of of your life where you're growing as a young man, you're maturing, you're going through ups and downs or whatever the case may be, and then just getting more experience before you get to that level. I do think it hurt him. Is it the primary reason he didn't succeed? No, it's that plus a combination of all the other things. Crap coaching at USC, unrealistic expectations at USC. Forcing everything to Amon Ross St. Brown. Right. (laughs) There's a lot. Injuries. Right. Yeah. Um, Injury injuries is the biggest one. Right. Make, he made he made a bad decision on where to transfer to. In my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, I don't. And, and I've I've said this publicly. Malik Zaire is another one. Like we've seen guys make decisions to transfer to places that were just bad fits, mm-hmm. and then they don't make it. And you're like, it's because it was a bad fit. I would have loved to have seen what Malik could have done as a fifth year senior if he would have gone to Wisconsin instead of Florida. Sure. Right, which I think would have fit what he does well. Better coaching, all those type of things. Same thing with JT. Yeah. Like, and I like Todd Munkin, but it's more about Todd Munkin trying to run a system that Kirby's going to be okay with. That's the difference. And I think JT thought he was getting the Todd Munkin from the NFL in Oklahoma State, and he was not getting that Todd Munkin. 
right? right. He's getting what the, the, the bastardized version of what Kirby wants. Now, again, it worked. It won a title, whatever. But it's like it's not conducive to quarterbacks going out there and having big-time production and running an offense where JT is going to do the things. Because he's a shit in the shotgun, make decisions, and be accurate with the football kind of guy. That's what yep. he is to yep. me. He, um, I will say this. I think he does have a chance if he stays healthy. I think he is going to put up pretty good numbers for West Virginia because, I mean, Jared Daigie put up pretty good numbers, and JT is more right. talented than a Jared yes. Daigie is over yes. the last couple of years, you know. So I, I think he could have a good year for the Mountaineers, who have a couple weapons coming back. So we'll be interesting to see if, yeah. how, how successful he is there. Yeah. And then along these lines, uh, Ryan asks uh, – uh, we're just going to kind of wrap up with this conversation. And, Ryan, you mm-hmm. need to respond to uh, Derek Calmer's I tried to go. Once, once I heard she had shorter arms, I was out. <laughs> so I'm out. I'm out. Um, Ryan Z asked, uh, uh, Brian, after JT Daniels reclassified, did you have Daniels or, or, or Trevor Lawrence hired? Always Trevor. Like JT Daniels is a tremendous thrower of the football. Trevor Lawrence is just, I don't even know how to explain it because I would never teach anyone's son to throw the ball like Trevor Lawrence. His throwing motion is not one I would ever teach. It's way too long. Uh, I, he's not, he doesn't have the strongest arm I've ever seen. He's a good athlete, but not the greatest athlete I've ever seen. There's just like Trevor Lawrence, the epitome of it. He just has it. And I don't know what Package. it is. I really can't describe it because there's so many things like, like I just said, is he the most accurate quarterback ever? no, is you know there, there's nothing where I look at and say Trevor Lawrence is the greatest thing I've ever seen in one specific attribute. He just when you watch a play, you're like, "Yep, that's it. That's, it. that's, that's what I want." I don't know what it is, but that's it. JT is the opposite, and JT is a guy that I would have had as my my you know model for this co- quarterback coaching video I'm making. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where it's like perfect form, perfect technique. You know, and yeah, he made plays off script in high school and he could run in high school, but that was never going to be his game when he got to college, right? Sure. And, you know, he's just a different guy where he needs to be in that system where he can sit in the shotgun and just, like, if JT would have gone to, and he wanted to go to a pro-style system and all this other kind of stuff, and so he goes to play for, you know, for Clay Helton, which was a dumb decision. I, you know what would have been interesting? What would have happened if JT would have gone to Stanford? Hmm. That would have been interesting because, you know, his first year would have been 2018. Stanford saw a decent team that year. They just didn't have a quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know, like I would have been very curious to see kind of – or if he would have gone to, I mean, Notre Dame. I mean, they 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 tried to recruit him. You know, like what happens if he goes there? A pro-style system. You know, Chip and Tommy are both pro-style guys. I think he just made a bad decision, to be honest with you. And um, – right. You know, if KJ Costello could have thrown 3,500 yards and 29 touchdowns at 8.6 yards per attempt and a 154.197 QB rating at Stanford in 2018, uh, you know, with Bryce Lovett running back and and JJ Arcega Whiteside and Trenton Irwin and Caden Smith right. and Colby Parkinson hey, and all those guys, like, whew. as as a South Jersey guy that has to listen to the Eagles all the time, it's JJ Arcega Whiteside. Oh, okay, okay. sure. Yeah. That's like my wife always – my wife's Italian. She's always trying to tell me, like, uh, ricotta cheese is something R- with a Ricolt. G in it. Ricolt. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Uh, yeah. R-I-C-O-T-T-A. That's not what that spells. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay, dude, whatever. Um, but, uh, I mean, th- but that's part of the – that's part of the thing of why these kids need to really make sure that they're taking their decisions seriously. 
because fit does matter. And that's why it should be factored into rankings. In my opinion, like fit should matter into rankings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like uh, DJ Uyunglele. I think he made a bad decision on where he went to school. I don't think he fits what Clemson does. I think he should have been more of a pro style guy. Like he's a guy that I would have loved to see in Georgia. Mm. Just a big arm dude running play action pass all freaking game. Yeah. Like with, that'd with be a speed, great yeah. With the speed they have outside, yeah, yeah for sure. That'd yeah, be a I great mean, fit. Just throw bombs all day. You know Jermaine what I mean? Like, Jermaine Burton would still be there, right? Man. It he doesn't just, require like super precision. You know, like right. like the offense he plays in. Yeah, uh, you know that can hurt a guy. That stuff can hurt a guy in college. I mean, you just don't go to – and I think that's part – so for JT, it was like a, a series of events that have led to his decline. It wasn't just as simple as one thing. Mm-hmm. It was just a series of different decisions or things that weren't necessarily in his control that led to him kind of having that fall from grace. And the expectations were so insane, I just don't know how much – I mean, he would have had to just be insane. That's what also makes Trevor Lawrence so incredible. Because Trevor Lawrence came in with insane expectations and met them. Wasn't, I mean, wasn't too, it's the it thing, right? Like people make fun right. of it and I get it. It's like you can't quantify it, but nothing's too big for him. You know, right. like, I mean, I, that's just all it comes down to. Like no matter where right. Trevor Lawrence is playing football, it's just like you expect him to do it. You know, like yeah. it's it's tough. It's not an easy thing. That's what makes scouting weird. That's like the yeah. – that's not quantifiable. Like you can't right. measure that, but and, it's there. And, and it's a unique at that position. Yeah. There are other positions where it kind of plays into a, a account in some degree, but at quarterback it's so much different than any other position, Ryan. And, and you know, to, to your point, like – you take Trevor off the 2019 and 2020 teams and Clemson looks way different. And we have evidence of that. They barely beat Boston college and lost to Notre Dame in the two games they played without Trevor Lawrence. I'm just saying. And then the year after he leaves, they go 10 and three and it's an ugly 10 and three, uh, you know, but like that 2019 team now I know that LSU game ended up not being all that close, but the only reason it was even competitive for two and a half, three quarters is because of Trevor. You know, I mean, his receivers were dropping balls. And he was getting hammered in the face, but he just would go out there and miss three throws in a row bad and then just throw some dart. Like, okay, nobody else can make that throw. Like, you know, and and I'll say this, as great as Joe Burrow is, you trade you trade those two guys, in my opinion, I, I don't I don't know if it would have – I don't know if it would have been any different, and maybe, maybe it's even a bigger blowout just because I really don't think Clemson – had the kind of stuff around him that year that that to compete. That just was a weird team in 2019. Clemson was. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, that's my uh and they got outplayed for by Ohio State almost the entire game. I mean they got outplayed by Ohio State except for one dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Trevor. I mean that's really well, what it boils down to. Ohio State and I know there was a there was a bad call at one point that a lot of people look at right. and stuff, but I mean literally Trevor Lawrence willed them to victory that day. It was crazy to watch. Yep. Ohio State was a much better team than Clemson that day. Yes. That particular day. It much just better. so happened that the best player on the field by far was wearing number 16 in, in white and orange. That That's the difference. 100%. 100%. And I don't know that JT Daniels ever had that, mm-hmm. even as a great player in high school. I, I mean, he always played on the best team in the country, you know, whereas like with he, Bryce he Young. dudes everywhere. Right. Yeah. With Bryce Young, yeah. it's a similar thing. But when you watch Bryce Young play and can carry himself and all those kind of things, you're just like, you know, that guy's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just kind of the way I look at it, right? I just think he had, he, he, ha- there's just some guys you watch and you're like, there's just something about that kid. 
you know, yep. and Trevor had it. I think Bryce has it. I, I always wondered if JT had it. That was always a question. But man, talk about just throwing a pretty ball. It's one of the best you're ever going to see. I don't know what it's like now, but when he was before all the injuries, I mean, it was oh boy, he gets a throw. It was yeah. a beautiful thing. It was a mm-hmm. beautiful, beautiful thing. That is going to do it for our show today, everybody. And uh, great questions today. Just absolutely great questions today. We had people trying to set Ryan up with their granddaughters. We had questions about the draft. Question about JT Daniels. Just great, great Q and A. We'll be back tomorrow, Ryan. Less than twenty four hours. You and I'll be back tomorrow to talk some Notre Dame team stuff. If if there's any recruiting stuff to talk about, we'll talk about it. But we're going to take a little bit of a, a hiatus the next few weeks from the recruiting hour. We'll get back to when the season starts just so we can kind of focus on camp and just team stuff. We'll then address recruiting stuff as it comes up. So, and of course, you guys can always ask questions in the mailbag. So, but we're going to do mostly team stuff here over the next couple of weeks. So for Ryan Roberts, I'm Brian Driscoll. Uh, want to thank everybody for being a part of the show today. Before you leave, please hit that like button. Please hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. Share this podcast. Sign up for the message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com. And uh, obviously, give us a a five-star review if you're listening via podcast. So for Ryan, I'm Brian. Have a great day, everybody. And thank you for being with us on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.